0: Welcome to Chase the Vase Podcast, where we share stories about those who have fought to overcome addiction.
1: Join us every Tuesday and Thursday for the latest stories, tools, and tricks to sobriety. Now, here's your host, Brock Bevel.
0: Right on. Welcome to Chase the Vase Podcast. Super jacked up for today, man. Super excited to have Blue Robinson in the house. Blue is the owner uh, and, man, CEO the guy did you say addict to athlete mm-hmm. based out of utah yep man i'm, I'm kind of jealous i have a brother who lives in provo and man that canyon you guys have mountains man yeah
1: we have lots of recreation area man to take advantage of it is such a blessing i'll tell you
0: and i'm gonna have you jump into it but man i want i want to uh first of all more than anything just thank you for your your sobriety time i know you're Mm. you're like a legend you're like a legend (laughs) with with sobriety time and and uh you're doing amazing things i want to first of all promote your addict athlete podcast i had a chance last week to be on there and man you you guys are doing i I actually went back and listened to some other ones Mm -hmm. you guys are good man
1: Thank you. Yeah, yes. yours is doing really well. I think you have a story too that resonates with a lot of the the folks that think it could never happen to me. And so, yours is doing very well right now. So, your listeners go check out that podcast too because it's it's a good one. You 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 helped you've inspired several people that I've talked to already about making changes because of your podcast. So, nice. thank you.
0: Well, good, man. Well, let's get into it. So, you you became you have kind of a tumultuous childhood. Yeah. I'm yeah. seeing and uh I'm sure you'll get into it, but you started using it at age 15.
1: Mm-hmm. Man, yep. what was
0: your first? What was your first drug or alcohol? What, what did you get into first?
1: Yeah, well, so coming from the background of a very uh, dysfunctional family system, um, I, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast I talk about my childhood, but uh, my mother was actually like married at age 14, and so. Us kids were not much younger than our mom, and so it, it led to a lot of problems growing up. A lot of divorces. She's been married and divorced, I think, eight times, and we, we've I moved 22 times before I was 18. So you never started and finished a, a school year in the same class, and so it was kind of a nightmare. About age 15 is where um, the, I moved next to some friends, and just through experiment and, and having a mother who was addicted to painkillers and pills, and and a stepdad that was very uh, much an alcohol Alcoholic, um, It almost seemed like a rite of passage. It was there. It was like, let's try this out. You know, I had a friend that, uh, you know, was getting into some alcohol and stuff. And so was, the first thing we tried was alcohol and it was literally just walk into the cabinet or go into the fridge and, and there it was. And so it started that way. And unbeknownst to me, it, like just took off in my life, man. There were so many things that like I felt that substance solved. Um, that I'm like, where's this been my whole life, and so it started with with literally with alcohol right from our our cabinet and, and fridge.
0: So you said it covered up a, a multiple of 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 issues you were masking. What, what do mm-hmm. you think? What you think it was just the escape, the ability to get away, or what do you think it was?
1: You know, it's interesting. You know, now that I'm, you know, years later, mental health therapist, addictions counselor and whatnot. um, It's funny because, you know, I always, I never realized like we, we typically use substances um, that reflect behaviors and feelings that we're trying to suppress. And so, if you've got depression, those kind of things, you're going for alcohol, oh. marijuana, all that kind of stuff, right? And so for me, what it was at first is, is you know, coming up in a very dysfunctional family. I mean, we're talking heavy duty physical abuse from stepfathers and all this kind of stuff. When I found that alcohol, it, it, it made me feel, dare we say normal, right? And so it, it really did, it, it, it was a Band-Aid to a deeper pain. And I had no idea until I got older, um, but it was, seriously, it was all the dysfunction when, when, I was, when I was intoxicated, when I was drunk, when I was high. I, I did, didn't matter, you know, how poor and, and how much poverty I lived in. I felt confident and I felt like I could go you know, do big things. And, and it was a mask, obviously, but it did. It, it gave me a, a perception of like being able to be stronger, bigger, better, faster. And, you know, for a long time, it, it seemingly it worked. You know, it filled, it filled the void. I, I've told this story many times at the very end of my addiction. We'll get there. But there became a part where it was either me taking going to take my life. Or it was me going to go use. And I thought, well, I'll go use. So in all essentials, like alcohol, substance use, it saved my life to a degree too, mm. because I chose it over the other one. So it was a, it was a roller coaster ride, but it was super easy because I had zero parental, you know, like, like stewardship, they, they were hands-off parents. um, You know, they, you know, I could, I could lie when the truth sounded better and they'd believe it. And it was, it was super easy to get away with.
0: So you're talking to a bunch of parents out there. I hope, I hope they're listening. What, you, you were a latchkey kid, man. You were running around alcohol in the fridge. Mm-hmm. What, what would you, what advice would you give to parents? Like, cause they're like, oh, I don't want to be that helicopter parent. You know, I don't want to be too much involved. Well, how would you speak to them? What would you tell them?
1: I think mean, parents need to understand that their kids need them to communicate with them. And it doesn't have to be a helicopter type parent. That means you're going to try and, and do everything for them. It's about having a relationship with your children. It's about being able to check in. And instead of coming home and doing the small talk, do you have any homework? No. Did your teacher do this? No. You know, Instead of having small talk conversation, it's getting into that search talk conversation about, you know, I do this with my own kids because it never happened to me. And so my kids come home from school. And the first thing I'm saying is like, man, did you guys have a good day at school? Anything funny, exciting, or, or weird happened? They're like, no, I'm like, nothing funny. And then they come up with something that was kind of hilarious. And we talk about it and we, we get into the homework question by building the relationship through. We don't just go right for the heart. And I think sometimes parents, we, we, we got to understand that if we've cho- chosen to be parents, or if we're choosing to, to be an addict or whatever, we choose to do those things out of our inconvenience. And so my parents, you know, I was a burden. And so nothing was convenient for them. So they were, they were very hands-off. I've learned to parent out of my inconvenience, meaning there's times when I have to you know put off things I want to do because my kids need me. And that's a, that is a foreign like, language to the way I was raised. It's just they were very hands-off. So communication and relationship building is crucial. It's about really knowing who your kids are.
0: So, blue, so you, you started going, you, the addiction started taking off, but then you started developing where the, um, the character defects, and these are the things that are hard to handle in addiction recovery, right? Like, it's, it's I think sometimes easier for us is to stop using than handle the character weaknesses, character mm-hmm. defects, right? And you started oh, yeah. developing one that became kind of prevalent in your life.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. So, you know, because of the poverty that that we experienced as as a kid and because of, you know, the fact that we would literally move two or three times in, in a year, if not more, there were times we didn't unpack boxes because we knew that it would be next month's rent would be us moving out. And so it became really crucial for me to build relationships and friendships fast. And so it didn't matter what I said or what I did because no one would ever find out the truth behind well, my lies and my stories because we'd be gone. And then when we started getting older and my mom married a, a, a guy who was um, an alcoholic and a but, but really kind hearted guy, very strict, but, but it was too late in my life when he tried to be a stepdad to me. Um, we, we all of a sudden had like roots for a minute and we had a house that we were living in for like three or four years. And I'm like, oh, crap. But what I discovered is that I would tell these tall tales and I would lie to try and make myself look good and to be strong. And the alcohol, the addiction, it, it just man, it made those things even better because I became a very smooth talker. And I learned this later on that I learned all these behaviors and attributes from my mom. And it was crazy how much I would—I didn't realize this until uh, I was getting into a relationship with my wife. But as I was kind of coming out of the addiction and, you know, and, and we ran the gamut, man, there's not a drug out there. I hadn't used at this time. I was about 22 years old. You know, and, and like you, I had aspirations of getting into law enforcement and to doing those kind of things. So I just wanted to help people. Um, But, you know, it, it just wasn't in my cards. They didn't have the education. I dropped out of high school, all this stuff, man, because I was pretty destined to be a loser. And so when, uh, when I was kind of coming out of the fog, um, I had a very bad rock bottom where it got real close to the point where I almost took my life. It was that day I chose to either use or, 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 or you know pull the trigger. Um, it scared me. And so I decided to walk away and leave drugs altogether, and I was done with them. Just completely finished. But I still had all the attributes of the addict, the lying, the manipulating, the fear, all that stuff. And so I just suppressed it down. I created a new persona of myself. Right. And, um, Yeah, I went to work with a youth treatment center uh, here in Utah, and I was a courier. My job was to go take them to and from doctor's appointments, you know, visits and stuff. And it was real awesome because I started hearing these stories from these kids that were very similar to mine. And so I could kind of connect with them, but no one knew about the dark side of of, of blue, right? And so it was all all fine until I met my wife. And, you know, at the time she was working at the same program. She was a uh, rec therapist, and I was just this ungraduated courier doing grunt work. And um, as we started building our relationship together, I kind of always figured that relationships would come and go just like my mother's did. I had no idea what happened and you could have a re- like resolution after an argument or fight. And so I never figured that I would have a, a girlfriend or a life, a life with a wife for more than you know maybe a year or two. Man. And so it started catching up to me that all of a sudden now all these lies and stuff. I mean, I had to tell these guys at my job, I graduated from high school on the application. I hadn't you know? And so all of a sudden there's this person that, that starts to care about me, but knows a very different side of me. Stories that I've told about, you know, the things I've done, people that, you know, I've, I've known that were all lies. And so it was like the dry drunk, you know, it was like all the attributes of that. And then I got close to one guy and it was really interesting because this guy out there was about, you know, uh, probably in his thirties and I was 20, 22, 21. And, um, he took me under his wing and he started figuring out that, your story is not matching up with some of this stuff, man. You know, and he was an unbeknownst to me, cause I wasn't part of that then, but he was an LDS Bishop and I had no idea what that even was, but he started to try, you know, kick some religion to me and I'm trying to push it away. Cause I'm like, you're dumb, you know, but he, he built this relationship with me and he started figuring out that there was some stuff that was off and it was more so just kind of like little behaviors I was showing, I guess. And as my girlfriend and I started getting more serious um, and I was planning on brother, I was planning on taking everything to the grave. I mean, I didn't matter. And so uh, my friend kind of cornered my wife, my girlfriend at the time and said, Hey, there's a lot more to blue than meets the eye. There's things that he's told you that aren't true. Things like school, like career choices, all this stuff. He's like, he's, he's made it all up. And my wife was so upset with this guy. Cause she's like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to ruin my relationship with him? And when Marissa, my wife came and confronted me that very first time and said, Don told me all this, I need to know if it's true. I was literally speechless. Cause I'm like all these lies, all these things that I'd said had, had just all come to a head. And I'm like, he's right. And it was crazy, man, because I thought, well, this is just like it always is. I know that I'll move on. And, and, you know, and I'd been clean and sober at that point for maybe about a year, not very long. Um, but like, It was gone, man. And so I had this choice to make right then and there, you know, of like, are you going to like, you know, keep this pattern going and have this life of just complete chaos? Or are you going to do something different? So I needed to be 100% accountable. And so I sat, and the reason why a lot of my lies and stuff I think took off was because I was so embarrassed and so just like, I hated my family system so bad because they were all addicts, drunks. They were all just horrible people. And I didn't want my wife to see that. There's some good in there too, but they were, they were, they're just downtrodden on anybody that tries to build a relationship, very manipulative family. And so like when the mask came off and I was completely exposed, it was scary, man. So my wife's like, if we're going to be able to have any kind of relationship, you need to go get some therapy. And she's like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of cool, but I'm going to be sitting over here. You got to go do this yourself. So really she kind of gave me the, I guess, the go ahead to go get help. And so my, my friend who was a Bishop, right. He gave me this thing to go see a a therapist. And it was uh, at the Brigham Young university school of, of, uh, of uh, what psychiatry. So I went and talked to a guy over there, LDS social services. And it was funny because back then I didn't know that those guys were just interns they're just okay. college interns trying to get their degree to be therapists. And I didn't know this. So I went in, I sat down with this guy and I just unloaded. I told him all about the abuse I suffered as a kid, the, the, the physical abuse, the scars that I have on my body because of stepdads and all this horrible stuff, my addictions, all these things. And at the very end of it, he said, Blue, I, I think I kind of understand your problem. He says, you don't know who you are. And I'm like 22, 21 years old. And I was pissed. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, that's the dumbest question I've ever heard. It's rhetorical. You can't even answer that question. And I got up and I left. I was like, good day, sir. And I walked out, right? <laughs> yeah. And I go back to my, my Marissa, my girlfriend at the time. And I'm like, she's like, how did therapy go? I'm like, oh, it was great. You know, like I'm done. And she's like, you're done? How Hailed. are you done? <laughs> uh-huh. And I'm like, well, this is what happened. And this is what he said. And I'm like, you know, um, he asked me a stupid question that no one can answer. It's rhetorical. It's just one of those stupid questions therapists ask you. She's like, what is it? And I said, well, he asked me who I was." And she says, you can't answer that. And I'm like, no one can. And she's like, well, I can. I'm like, Oh, really? Who are you? And then she flipped and told me, and it, it blew me away, brought to the point. I mean, I was, I'll get emotional, brother, but it, it blew me away. It was so scary because like, here's this person, my same age. And she's telling me about, about what makes her, her, the, the, the values, the core beliefs, the principles, all these things that make her who she is. And I was completely lost. And so I had to hang my head in shame and go back to my therapist, you know, Arlen and say, Hey, I think I need some more help. And literally for like the next year, I worked with him. I worked and I brought Marissa with me. We had this couple's counseling before we even got married. I mean, it was awesome, brother. And I started, I started figuring out things about why I was doing what I was doing. Why I was so scared of who I was, um, the sickness that was the addiction in my family. Um, my own accountability, I had to get accountable to so many people you know, I had to get accountable to her family because I'm like, here's this guy who's like, you know, just another, just, you know, jerk and, you know, telling, you know, his the, this family's daughter who, who he thinks he was. And it was horrible, man. And I had to get accountable with them, but it brought me so close. They were very forgiving. They were very understanding. My family, on the other hand, they kept, you know, they kept down that path of addiction and all that kind of stuff. And, right. you know, and so I did, I had to really get open. And it was the first time I could feel completely free to have everything about me exposed, the good and the bad. And for someone, you know, my wife you know, to come saying, it's okay, it's good. And it felt so relieving, man. Mm. Uh, and so it was, it was kind of like a new awakening. It was all that stuff the, the addiction took from me and all the fear I had about someone discovering who I really was and just letting it go and being like, I'm, I'm good enough. You know, it was, it was a powerful experience, man.
0: All right, man, that, that, was, that was deep. With what you share, but I gotta break it down, man. I I have so yeah. many questions, man. I really do. Number one, I want to know how that kid is today. That that listened to you throw up on him, give him all that. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. he, he's an intern, also. He's like. An LDS intern at that, he's probably like, he's never heard that stuff. I'd love to find him. I really <laughs> yeah.
1: would because I did. I told him where to stick it and I, and I walked out and I'm oh. like the dumbest thing ever. And then for a year we worked with him Yeah. and you know, it was awesome because I thought, you know, I, I thought you're an idiot and now I'm a therapist. So it's kind of like, well, that was, that was Full funny. Circle.
0: All right, <laughs> yeah. man. So let me, let's go back. If you don't mind, man, I like, yeah, go you, ahead. You, you said some things that, that people need to, I, I need to know more about, for example, uh. You know, you talked about using the drugs to fill some voids. Uh, I know there was, I, I read your story that you were self-medicating and stuff like that. But then you said you just quit to cold turkey.
1: Yeah. And to, yeah.
0: to, to an addict, I, I did the same mm. thing. You know my story. Like, I just, it was, I was done, done. You know, you yeah. make that decision. But for a lot of people, it's not like that, man. It's kind of like they they make the decision and they just keep going. What was about your story about this incident that just that you were done done and you're like, I- I'm done using drugs. I know it was a, an intimate experience, but what happened?
1: Yeah, you know, it was interesting. It was that rock bottom I told you I was talking about. So it was me and a friend of mine who were at a, my sister's house, she was she was out of town. And so it was the perfect place to go out and, and get high and, and use. And the day that we chose was uh, right the day before my, my stepdad's birthday. And as we were using at her house, we got really just way overboard, man. We'd used methamphetamine, we'd used acid, and we'd used a a lot of alcohol. And we got to the point where we were right at the peak of all that stuff, where it was like this overwhelming feeling of like, no one cares. If we were to leave the planet today, no one would miss us. And when you're that high on that that amount of substance, it, it all makes sense. And by the grace of God, Brock, it, we didn't do anything. And it, I mean, I remember being so close to like doing it. And as I started to kind of sober up to a point to get my, my, my mind's, you know, eye back in place, I, I found myself all the, and it's so blurry. I remember sitting there all of a sudden at my, my father, my stepdad's like birthday dinner. And I'm looking around this table trying to force feed myself because you can't eat when you're on that crap. And I'm looking at people that, that were laughing and having fun and enjoying time and and family and friends. And I'm looking at these people and I'm like, oh my gosh, these guys probably would have been really upset if I'd have been gone and the way that it had happened, because I'm seeing them all laugh and have life and enjoy things. And it spooked me, man. It scared me to death that I was that out of control. And so for me, it was that easy to say, that was so flipping scary. And I got so close that I, I pushed away and I walked away, but I didn't just, I man, I didn't just walk away from, from the addiction. I walked away from those friends. I committed what I call social suicide. Mm-hmm. I cut off everything. I, I was like, if you guys contact me, I'm turning you in. I, you know, I became, I'm like, I will be the narc. And, and it was kind of one of these weird things. I have no idea why I would have said that kind of stuff, but it worked. It absolutely worked. And, um, as I started to kind of push away from all those negative people, I had to start looking at my family too, because I actually had to push away from them as well. And so it was kind of a sad thing. All these relationships when my mom and dad got divorced, when my wife, it was like the week before I got married to my wife, they were getting a divorce. It was, it was, it made family pictures very strange, you know, after (laughs) after the wedding. Um, But like, it got to the point, man, where I started seeing that like all these negative behaviors could suck me in so fast. And it was sad because walking away from friends, and like I said, social suicide, pushing all that away and family, there was one incident with my, with my mother that I'll, I'll never understand, but it was, it, I need it needed to happen about a month after we were married. I get this bill in the mail saying that I owe like 500 bucks, no, seven, eight, 800 bucks on a phone bill. I, I never had back in 2000. If you had a cell phone, you were like, you know, you were balling, right? Rocking it. Yeah. And so I get this bill and, I, and right out the bat, Marissa, my wife is like, you've got a secret phone. And I'm like, no, I don't. But see, I have a history of, of telling tall tales, right? And so she's like, I think you do. And I'm like, I really don't. So I call the phone company. What is this? I got her sitting on the line with me so she can hear everything. So I'm like, I want you to see that this isn't mine. And the guy on the other end wouldn't tell me who put this bill in my name. And I finally got him to tell me that it was a lady with the initials of, of you know, SR. And I'm like, that's my mom. You know, that's my mom. And so I call my mom right after this. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why did you put your $800 bill in my name? She's like, I didn't do that. Oh yeah. I'm like, yes, you did. You know, I, I've confirmed it. I've, I've talked to the guys and she's like, it must have been your sister. And I'm like, you are out of your mind. And I got pissed. And I'm like, look, you are now trying to ruin my life with my new wife and me wanting to start a whole like, like family. And she's like, you ungrateful little, you know, whatever. And she's like, I never want to speak to you again. And I said, you be very careful with that because I'll respect it. And she flipping hung up on me. And I'm like, oh, hell no, right? I was so (laughs) mad. And so literally I do what I say, I tell my clients to do is I flip and like write a letter, right? Get, get the pen. And I start writing this letter, man. And I'm telling you, Brock, it was like literally like nine, 10 pages of just like everything that she put us through. The trauma, the, the, the poverty, the the abandonment, you know, the neglect, all this stuff. And I folded that flipping thing in and put put an envelope, it, like, like like four or five stamps to send it. And I put it in the mail to send it to her. And I remember having this feeling, I'm like, if I drop this letter, this is going to change everything it changes and it I, all and i did it was like wow. seven years went by without one word from her not nothing i mean i told her i would respect that um it was crazy man seven years and so it was it was nuts but during those seven years as that was gone uh, i was able to create my own life i You know, I started my family. I got, I got into a career. Um, I got into adult high school and finished, you know, class of 94 turned into the class of 2000 (laughs) and, and it just kind of took off from there. But I had, I had only one family to focus on and that was my own. And so, you know, even now there's no relationship there, but really I, I was walking away from everything and committing what I call social suicide, all starting from that one pivot point, which was, I could have taken it too far and I had to walk away.
0: Now, when you say that you were thinking about committing suicide, you and your boy, your, your friend were talking about it?
1: hmm Oh, you know, yeah.
0: How, how far did you play that tape through? It got
1: close, man. It got really close. And, and he was, you know, my, my best friend, um, you know, a very dear friend of mine, uh, he had some trauma in the past. He lost his mother to suicide when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. And growing up, he never talked about it, but, like, we all knew it had happened. But I remember him getting so close to it. And so he was, I remember a point where I could start kind of articulating like, wait a minute, if we, you know, if, 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 if we put these knives and these razors across our wrists or we do this kind of stuff right now and we leave, um, I'm like, this is going to change so much. But then I started noticing that he was a little bit more serious than I was. I could kind of feel something different and it kind of spooked me. And So I don't know what happened, but my mindset shifted to where I started talking him down And so I think that's the only thing that saved me was like the, the shift in perspective to that small degree. And by the grace of God, I can't even tell you how, how, or why we, we, we made it through. Um, But it was, it was like, we have a little bit more drug to use and then we'll do it. And the acid wore off, thank flipping heavens. But then, you know, the, the meth was kicking in. And so it was, it was so close. And so, you know, he, when I had to walk away from him, my best friend, I had this experience with, but that was a, that was the hardest thing because I was turning my back on a brother, but yeah. I had to, I, or else I wouldn't have made it.
0: Let's talk about that. I know, I know when I, I run a, so I, I used to run a, a drug recovery program up in Sholo. And, and one of the things that we taught our clients, and I'm sure you do is, is you got to change everything about your life. And one mm-hmm. of my clients said, dude, I, I changed everything. And my pillowcases, like it came mm-hmm. down that far that, you know, you need to make that change. So in your life, when you say you left your friends and family, like, honestly did i know you're saying that but did Mm -hmm. you honestly leave them and you just you just changed your life right there
1: yeah yeah i did it was it was rough man it was hard it was really hard because um there was nothing to do you know there was absolutely nothing to do i knew that i was done using because that it was too it was too close to to the ultimate it scared me to death And so I did, I walked away from it all. In fact, I joke that my friends became Monica Chandler and Ross on friends, right? (laughs) The TV show, because that's all I would do as I would go, I'd go to work and I'd come home and I would just sit in front of the TV and it was, it was bad. It was really bad, but I couldn't. I didn't trust myself enough, man. And I, it scared me enough to where I'm like, I can't do this. And so I think the good thing about my, my situation was I was never physically dependent on, on any substance, but I was very much abusing those things. Yeah. And so, you know, it, 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 took, it took some time, but yeah, I, I did. I had to walk away and I did. It was, oh man, it sucked. And it still sucks, man. 45 years old. And I still like, I had a birthday in November and I still get, I still get beat up that like none of my family call. Like, even though I'm 45 years old, I still, the coolest thing would be to like have a phone call from my mom be like, Hey, I'm proud of you. Like, this is the coolest thing. And I'm like, and it never happens. So for years, I hated my birthday. My wife would go all out trying to give me stuff for birthdays and have these great experiences. But I always had this dark cloud over me. She's like, What is so wrong about your birthdays? Are you afraid you're getting old? I'm like, No. Yeah. It took me a long time to articulate the fact that if the people that created me don't give a damn, like, what am I even Who doing? Does? does that make sense? Yeah. And it took me a long time to figure that out. And once I did, it was, yeah. uh, it got better. But yeah, man, it was lonely, brother. It was super lonely.
0: So would you speak to someone listening to this that's going through it? Because I want to be honest with you, man. I'm uh, I'm going through it with a family member right now. I, I cut, about two years ago, I cut him off. I had to get a restraining order. And it's been hard, man, because we were close. Mm-hmm. He was my brother. Yeah. yeah we were close and- and I honestly feel like getting that out of my life has really cleansed my mind. So, so, and that worked for me, and like, like you're saying, it worked for you. But what do you, how do you counsel people into into cutting this off and cutting toxic people out of your lives? For me,
1: I I, I I felt this one day, and it sounds very conceited if you don't know the context behind it. But to me, I say it's a privilege to have a relationship with me. It's not a right. And I have had to kind of live by that motto throughout my life. And so, you know, I like to say that, yeah, I cut all that stuff off, but I also started to trust and build relationships elsewhere. If if I didn't have Marissa, my wife, with me through through a big, heavy portion of all this, you know, and I was single, you know, for a long time. But, you know, from the time I had to, you know, the time that I, I walked away from my friends, um, I still had my mom in my life, but when I met Marissa and she's like, we started doing therapy and stuff. And she starts showing me things that are kind of outlandish and weird. That's when I walked mm-hmm. away from her. I still had someone to support me and, and to be there with me. And so I was never truly alone, except for the period of time where I had to leave my friends away. And then during the time I got my friends away was the time that I, I had all this money because I wasn't using and spending it on crap. And I'm like, I need to spend this. So that's when I went, and purchased a mountain bike. And the mountain bike became my best friend because I'd hop on that stupid thing and go up in the mountains and get lost. And I became... And uh, a mountain biker. So literally, like I talk about, I totally moved from addict to athlete. Bike. Yeah. yeah. And so I started not caring about who I hung out with during the period of time. I didn't have any, any social relationships because I had my bike. And what happened was after I met Marissa, okay, hold on. Stop, me- hold on,
0: hold yeah. on. I, I want, I want to, I want to, I want to talk about Marissa first. Let's, yeah. I want to get into athlete to addict, addict to athlete. I want to get that, but here's mm-hmm. what I want to know, man. Like I'm on my third marriage, right? Mm-hmm. And my wife, my current wife, she married me after the addiction, right? Yeah. Just like you and Marissa did, and it's hard. Oh yeah. It's hard, and I heard, I heard it kind of. I got triggered by a comment that you made, where you got the cell phone, and she's like, "Oh, these past behaviors," and she starts talking to you about that, right? How do you guys work through that? Because first of all she is a rock star. I want to say that.
1: Yeah, she is. She,
0: yeah. she she's cool. I'm, I'm telling you, like for someone that wants to marry a guy that's been in, in addiction that mm-hmm. has trauma, that mm-hmm. man just has all that damage. Oh man. Now I know that we come out of it better. I mm-hmm. know that we're improved versions of who we are once we get sober, but, but, How does she handle, I wish she was sitting next to you because, you know, she'd tell us the truth. No, but Mm -hmm. uh, how does she handle these triggers that she gets from your past behaviors?
1: Yeah, you know, it's awesome. She calls me out and I'd love to tell you that like, 20 almost 21 years now later that we've been married that there are still things that she doesn't kind of like raising her eyebrow on you know because it's like this man it's like this it'd be things like even even now today and it's it's not it's not intentional but it's it's one of these behaviors right it's like um hey blue take this take this envelope go mail it it's 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 the payment for whatever and so i'll put it in the visor of the truck right i'll take off and i'll come home and she's like did you do it i'm like well yeah but i'm like wait a minute. Did I, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's still sitting there. So my intentions, right. were good. And to do it, but I still, I, I, I still missed the mark. I still, I still lied. Cause I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. And she, she had really, and it's kind of funny to talk about that. Cause it seems so stupid and elementary, but it's like, she's the, the, the longer we've been together, the more I've been trustworthy, obviously, you know, but she still at times is like, Hey, when you start getting stressed, I start realizing that you start cutting corners and Mm. she starts to figure me out. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. And it's funny because it's it's stupid things. It's just dumb things, you know, and it's not like she's trying to catch me and like gumshoe me or anything. Right. But the thing is, is she's like, she's just, she's genuine. And I don't want to disappoint her. I don't want to make, you know, and so I'm like, well, yes, this and that. And I'm like, okay, but wait a minute. So it's been good because I've been humble enough, brother. And I'll get real with you. I've been humble enough to know that my way wasn't the right way. And I felt like, it was funny, when we first started going out and stuff and then her family started figuring out that, okay, Blue said all this stuff and now he's not doing any of this stuff and we know that he's lied and stuff. It was so embarrassing to me, you know? And so I never wanted to put her in that situation or me in that situation with her family, but I remember one time her little sister telling her, this is years ago, 20 years ago, she's like, you know, your, 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 your oldest sister, Tara, she's like, Tara doesn't really trust Blue at all. And I said, I don't blame her. I've earned that. I've earned me not being trustworthy with any of you. So I'm not going to tell you. I'm like, just, just watch, you know. And I'll be honest with you, man. 21 years later, Brock, I still pucker up a little bit when I'm around her, all the sister and her brother-in-law because I have so much respect for them. And so it's kind of a weird thing, you know. And I don't know. We've never talked about it since then. But like, it, it helps me be more accountable, man. And so Marissa is not the kind of person to just be a pushover either. She doesn't need me. At all. I get hit by a bus and she'd be just fine. She might be a little sad, I hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She doesn't need me. She's not trapped or caught with me. And so when she chooses in instead of has to be in, it makes my relationship with her so much better because I'm just like, Well, I am who I am. And you know, she supported me through through, through school, through church callings, through all kinds of stuff. And A lot of people are are nervous around her because she has such a strong personality, but it's one of the coolest things too, because she knows if you're pulling her leg and if you get on her good side, you got a friend for life.
0: Right. So how did you break the cycle, man? I'm looking at this and a lot of people are seeing your history with mom going through marriages, going through men. You would think, right? You would think Mm -hmm. that it's going to, that it's going to just, just because your mom went through it, it's going to land on you and you broke the freaking cycle, bro.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah. I
0: mean, you're married 20 years. You broke this cycle of I've, addiction. I've beat everybody. Yeah. You beat them up.
1: Mm-hmm. How well, did you do it, man? It's weird, man. I'm glad you asked that question because not too many people do. Because it, it went like this. When my mom was 14, she married her first husband. And he was um, he was a Polynesian guy and, you know, really edgy for back then, obviously. And so my uh, my siblings, they, they're part Polynesians. And so our family pictures are hilarious. We got these two dark kids and then these two white kids, you know, it's like, where the flip did you guys come from? And so once my mom divorced her, my, her first husband uh, and had the two kids, she married my 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 next sister's husband her dad, and he was an alcoholic, you know, from Las Vegas and stuff. And she divorced him. She met my dad, my dad, I, I might've heard was an ex-military guy. And, um, you know, he was stationed up in Grand Forks, North Dakota. It's where I was born severe abusing alcoholic. Just a mean guy. And in the middle of a, of a, of a Fargo North Dakota winter, she, my mom scooped us up and took us back here. And so I never really knew my dad, my biological dad, I met him once um, uh, years ago, it was kind of like a whole nother story, but about forgiveness and tell you about that sometime. Yeah. But, um, so, you know, then there's, then there's, then there's you know, the, the concept of, of her being married and divorced several other times. And so really, as I took a step back, I saw this whole family system coming apart. My brother had the same thing, marriage and divorce four times. My sister almost mimicked completely my mom's life, married horrible guys, you know, you know drugs, alcohol, all that stuff, married and divorced. My, my oldest, my second sister, same thing, man, the cycle of marriage, divorce. I took a step back. And it was funny because I'm like, I don't want this lifestyle, man. And as I started getting open and honest about who I was and what I was doing, I started realizing that, you know what, A conflict resolution is as easy as owning your own crap. And so I know when I'm pushing buttons and I can be like, hey, Marissa, that's me. I'm sorry. I'm I'm, 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 I'm pissed. I'm upset. I just need some time. I started realizing that you can flip and conversate with your spouse and, and work stuff out, not hiding anything. It was cool because I didn't have anything to hide, man. It was, that's what the neatest thing was, is I have nothing to be ashamed of and nothing to hide. She, again, she knew all the good about me and all the bad, and it was okay. And so I'm like, I'm done. I wanted, I mean, it's crazy, man, to, to look at this family tree of mine and see all this, you know, barbed wire and thistle and all kinds of crap. And then mine, and I'm like, I was done with the drama. I'm, I'm man enough to own my own and to apologize when I've made mistakes and to listen to their point of view. And I find it being a privilege to have a relationship with, with my wife, you know, so a lot of humility, man.
0: So how long did it take you to get over those fears of coming, you get in a fight with your wife, you come home, hey, she's going to be gone, right? Yeah. Because that was kind of what the trend with, with That's interesting, was, right?
1: That's so interesting you say that. Yeah, because I remember our very first real deep argument, our bad one. And it was, you know, not too long after we were married, about a year after we were married. And it was you know, it was, it, it was, again, it was about a lot of stress on my plate. Me not, you know, you know, lying by omission, even not even saying everything. And I remember her calling me out and me being so pissed. And I'm like, you well, what? all right, if this is how you want it, then fine. And I'm like waiting for the next comment from her being like, well, I'm going to, we're done. And it never came. And I'm like, well, what's next? And she's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, what are we doing? She's like, we're going to fix it. And I'm like, Huh? It was weird, man, because I kept waiting for that. And we talked about it. I said, you know what? I said, are you done with me? She's like, not even close. You know, she's like, blue, we have something here. And, you know, me being married in the temple, you know, being a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and stuff, I've made commitments, you know, and I'll be honest with you, man. One of the main things that's kept me sober all this time was the service I can produce through being a spiritual participant in, in, you know, in my church. And it's helped immensely because that's what I found out is that I have a sole purpose here. It's to serve. And so mm. as I was you know, building this relationship back and as we're, we're figuring out each other's quirks and characteristics in marriage, our communication styles got so open that we just knew each other. You know, there's no hiding. There's nothing to hide. And there's no secrets. You know, even to this day, she has passwords and codes to phones and all kinds of stuff. And I love it when she grabs my phone. And, and uh, even if she isn't you know, lo- looking for anything specific, but I have nothing to hide. You that know, so, so good. It does. It feels so good. So really, man, just building on, on tops of those
0: foundations. So tell me, let's talk about addict to athlete. What did you do with all this? Because I know you got a story behind it. I mean, let's yeah. let's, let's say congratulations again on, on your sobriety and 20 plus years of marriage and, and your wife, Marissa. But man, what are you doing for the sober community? What are you doing for these addicts out there? Let's talk about it.
1: Yeah. So it was, it was awesome, man. Thank you for asking. It was it was 2000, um, 2010 when I first started having the idea of Addict to Athlete. I'd worked at a youth treatment center that had, um, they had, they had training and participation in triathlons as part of their program. And it was more just of a gym class. You know, it wasn't anything big. But, you know, me having that mountain bike, when I decided to walk away from friends and using and stuff, it was hilarious, man, because I had no idea what I was doing. I had all this money. I knew that if I didn't spend it, I would spend it on drugs. And so I went to the bike shop here in, in Utah and I'm like, here, I have all this money. What, what can you, what can you sell me? And the guy's like, hey, I got just a bike for you. <laughs> I did not know, know much. Before, have not you? <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. What I, even, yeah. How, how much this bike really even was, to be honest with you. But I got this really sweet, nice mountain bike and I took it home and it was wall art. You know, would, I just didn't do anything with it. And one day I got so bored. I remember thinking I've got to do something. And so I jumped on this stupid mountain bike and I started huffing it up to the mountains, which I thought, well, you need a mountain bike in the mountains. Dude. I had no clue what I was doing. I was up in Springville where I live. Now I was up in the foothills up here and I was completely lost. And also these two mountain bike guys come down this other trail and they're like, dude, what are you doing? Are you lost? And I'm like, Yeah. Yeah, I kind of am, you know, lost in life, lost on this trail. I have no idea what I'm doing. They're like, well, follow us down. We'll show you how to get down to the road and the trailhead. And so I did. And we got down to the bottom and they're like, hey, man, we, we come up here all the time if you want to meet us up here. Um, but the guy's like, I, but some tips, grab a helmet, get a water bottle and, and don't wear Levi shorts when you're coming <laughs> up, man, you know? And I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> and that's how it started, man. Dude, so you appreciate I, people like that, though. And I you know? no, never saw him again, Brock, never oh. saw him again. But it was that much where they didn't they didn't identify me as an addict. They didn't, they didn't care about my background, nothing. They were just like, you have a mountain bike, we have a mountain bike, get these things, you're good to go. And they invited me, yeah, complete strangers. It was the most, it was the coolest thing. And so I went and I got the, I got the helmet, I got the bike, I got all the stuff I needed. And I got this magazine, you know, this mountain bike magazine. And I'm like, hmm. So literally, man, I moved from addict to athlete by mimicking and copying what a mountain biker would do. And it was awesome. It was kind of like fake it until you become it. It's exactly what I had to do. And so I'd mountain bike like crazy. And then that dude, so much solace. I, I, I went out so many times alone. It was dangerous to go alone, but I went all over. I went to you know, I went to Moab, to Slick Rock. I went everywhere, just mountain biking. And it was awesome. You know, just living this mountain biker lifestyle, working and going out. Um, and then it was when I met my wife, her family, you know, at one of the things that, you know, as I was, you know, kind of humbling myself to be, you know, ask her hand in marriage, her dad said, He's like, yeah, blue. He's like, we'd love to have you in the family. He's like, but if oh, you're marrying no. Marissa, I want you to run a marathon. Oh. I'm like, oh, okay. Sounds like a good price tag to me after everything I put you guys through. Right. <laughs> and so I go to Marissa and she, I'm like, yeah, your mom and dad, they support it. And I'm like, she's like, I said, but I got to run a marathon with your dad. She's like, do you have any idea what that is? I'm like, No. She had a 26.2 mile run about died. <laughs> But Brock, man, the coolest thing, though, is as I was running and preparing for this first um, marathon with her dad, I was running with him. We were living in their basement apartment of their house. And all of a sudden, dude, I had this like this father figure who I'm like talking to if we're running, we're talking and I'm just like just dumping the stuff. I'm getting to know him. He's getting to know me. And it was like something I've always wanted, but never had this father son type thing. And I bonded I get emotional. I bonded very close to her family through recreation. They're all avid swimmers. They're all runners. Her brother was a professional triathlete. Her other brother, a, a national ultra marathoner. And um, I started recreating with these people. Part of our life is recreating. And so Marissa's a rec therapist by trade. That's her. That's her. That's her. Uh, her, her her career, and. As I was doing all this stuff, and I got back from a, a, an episode at the Utah County Division of Substance Abuse as a therapist, um, I noticed that a part of the program was to send our clients out to do three meetings a week. But all we have up here is 12-step meetings. And so one day I come out from work, and I'm, I'm looking at these group of people huddled around the back of a pickup. And you know when you get a bunch of people like that huddled around somewhere, they're up to no good. No good. So I snuck up behind them and I'm like, you know, this is 2011 and I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, Oh, turn around. And they were forging their, their 12 step sign-off sheets, you know, from the, from the chair of the meeting. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? You idiots. They're all in drug court and they're all in like DCFS family services and stuff. And I'm like, you guys, this is for your benefit. And they're like, blue, really? They're like, he's like, we don't, we don't like the 12 steps, man. Like it doesn't work for us. And then it hit me Brock, because when I was working with youth all the way back in the day, I'd take these kids to these 12 step meetings and the kids would always get kind of a bad rap. They would never, the people wouldn't take them seriously. They they hated when treatment centers would go to their meetings. And so, and I've been to many 12 step meetings and the vibe there, I'm sorry. I love the 12 steps. They work if you work them honestly, but I'm like, it's not for everybody. No, amen. Uh-huh. And so, you know, so I'm like, huh, you guys, I'm like, well, we got to do something. You guys can't be doing this. You're going to, your judge will kill you if he finds out that you're, you're forging this stuff. And I'm like, well, let's, let's, let's figure out what else is out there. I researched, there was nothing else out there. And then it hit me, you know, health and wellness and recreation helped you blew it saved my life. I'm like, maybe I should try something like getting them ready for a a run. And the reason why Brock is because the very first time I ever ran for weeks after we finished this, this marathon in St. George, you know, me cashing in my, my father's father-in-law's request, um, I would talk about it with everybody, with my brother-in-laws, with my family. And it was cool. We had this like, it was like being through a, a war together. You had all yeah. these, all these things story. to talk about. Yeah, you have a story. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm like, these guys need that story. And so I'm like, I wonder if my, my bosses would allow me to start this little group. And so I approached my bosses and I'm like, I wanna do something with these, these folks. I wanna see if we can get some volunteers to do a couch to 5K training to run a 5K. And it just so happened that the 5K they were having uh, in a few months time was right outside the door of our building. I mean, it's called the Provo City Chase the Mayor 5K. Wow. It's a stupid little gimmick race where you give the mayor a two minute head start and then you chase him down, I guess. Give, give him a pat on the behind as you, walk, as you run by. Good job, mayor. But like, they're like blue, we don't know if this is going to work. They're like, you know, they're kind of unhealthy people. Um, They've all, you know, ex-heroin users, smokers. And I'm like, well, I know CPR, so I'm good. Maybe we can do this. Right. So they did. They gave me the green light, man. I went down. I said, I want some volunteers. Does anybody want to learn how to run a 5k? And five of them raised their hands. And I'm like, cool. So we did, man. We started training them. They came early to group. They wore their running gear. We'd go over all kinds of running stuff, stretching, all kinds of stuff. And then we'd start running. We do for couch to 5k, walk and run, walk and run. And it's kind of funny, man. Cause I'm like, I started metaphorically you know, putting it next to recovery. I'm like, this is how it is, man. I mean, like, we can't we can't start this this training running and just go, you know, balls out because you're gonna get tired, you're gonna wanna stop. I said, pace yourself. And so I'm like, how do you guys pace yourself in your recovery? Sort of metaphorically putting these things in together. And I'll be dang, man, it was crazy. We got running and these people would start telling me stories about themselves, like sharing things about themselves. They never did in my office. And I kind of like, I thought, well, this is weird. Why are you guys talking about all this stuff out here in the public? But in my awesome office, you're not saying anything. And it's because of movement, brother. It's because of yeah. EMDR therapy. It's like right, left brain stimulation. When we move, our, our brains and our bodies kind of start, you know, connecting and, and we get down to that, that the, the soul kind of stuff.
0: It's crazy. That was the same thing you are doing with your father-in-law. Exactly. Right. 100%. Yep. Yeah.
1: So here I am thinking I'm, I'm, I'm. it's discovering this brand new modality of recovery, but it's, it's called EMDR, right. you know? And the funny part about it was, is as we were doing this and stuff, and they were getting very happy about what was going on the day, the race came, all their families came because they wanted to watch him die they're like we don't believe you're gonna be able to do this you know because here are these people that literally don't have you know much you know m- much i guess clout in in the uh, the athlete, what the running community right right. <laughs> we're gonna watch him die and i kid you not man they give the mayor a head start you know and just before they started though they handed out these t-shirts that said you know, addict to athlete because we were calling ourselves and i'm like you guys i don't know if you should wear those because you know I'm still kind of indoctrinated by school and by you know, the 12-step the community, which is anonymity. And they're yeah. like, Blue, we don't care. We want people to know who we are well, and what we're out, doing. Yeah. And I'm Have like, it. okay, go ahead. So they did, man. They put these on. They took off. And you know what? Thank heavens they did, Brock, because all but one of them caught the mayor. And as they passed the mayor, the mayor stops. The first guy, his name was Tyson. And he's like, <clears throat> the mayor's like, hey, what's on your shirt? And Tyson's like, oh, this is a group that we started. It's called Addict to Athlete. The mayor's like, addict to athletes, like Tyson's like, yeah, I'm an ex-heroin addict. And then I can only imagine the mayor's thought thinking I'm getting beat by an ex-heroin addict. What is this? (laughs) Right.
0: Right. And Tyson
1: talks about his recovery and he had that conversation with four other athletes, but they all finished. And when they were, when they finished, I'm watching them come in and everyone's cheering for them. You could just feel the energy because they've never been cheered for. They've never been pat on the back. And it was the coolest thing. They got their little medal. They got a t-shirt. And then I thought, well, that was cool. But that next Monday I go into work and my boss calls me in and he's like, Hey, I need to talk to you. And I thought, oh crap, maybe something happened out there. Maybe someone, maybe someone spit on the mayor or maybe, maybe did pat him on the butt. Why I don't does know where minds
0: always go there, man, right? Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Actually, what had happened though is that John Curtis, the mayor of Provo, actually contacted my my ultimate bosses, the county commissioners, and said, Hey, I heard this program is starting at the community. I want you to tell you that I think it's amazing, and it's inspiring. Now the county commissioners never heard anything about it. But they're like, oh, yes, it's great, right? So they call me in, they find out what it is, and they're like, hey, green light, keep doing it. And so literally, it started from there, man. It was kind of an excuse to run at lunchtime and turned into me helping people kind of overcome addictions through the metaphor of health, recreation, and service. Man. And now, 10 years later, we're, man, we're growing. We're getting big. It's crazy.
0: That What a cool story, man. I got chills, but I got a little emotional Cause yeah. I can see it with this is what we do with our guy. We take them on, uh, you know, adventure races. We did some Spartan with them, man. It's just, mm-hmm. just watching those guys and watching us, man, is, is amazing. So, so props to you, man. Way to go! Thank you for doing that. If we want to get a hold of you, we want to join your organization, we want to come run. What, what's the best way?
1: Yeah, you know, there's there's tons. There's so much to, to add it to athlete. I mean, like, like you said, we do all those things as well. Part of what we do is, is a lot of service as well, because, you know, that's how they give back. Our, our nonprofit status, I told the, 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 the athletes that we do one non-for-profit race um, a month, which is you know, it, maybe it's a kid who's, you know, has cancer or something, family trying to build money. When you have, you know, 80 to a hundred athletes showing up and, you know, paying 25 bucks for an entry fee to a nonprofit, you know, chapter, it, it brings a lot of influence. And so we do a ton of service. We do a ton of events and runs, our podcasts, everything can be found on our website, addicttoathlete.org. Um, there you can find links to everything that we're doing training as sober coaches, um, our soon to be online recovery program. We call it extracurricular recovery. Okay. Um, just all kinds of, all kinds of free stuff to download and look at especially for family systems. We want families to come together doing this. So we've created a program for them called the home team. And so the home team can be you know, where you literally like create a, a dynasty championship team at your home. You know, everybody, you don't, you don't do stupid things on your home court. So we want you to, to learn how to build and, and strengthen your home team, mm-hmm. our minor league for 18 year and younger. We do all kinds of stuff for them too. It's, it's, it's pretty fun.
0: Man, I'm totally impressed. Well, my, uh, my, my philosophy is chase the vase. I'm sure you've kind of seen that. And and basically that's what you're doing, man. You're, you're, you're chasing something bigger than you. Oh yeah. You know, so that's my invitation. Mm -hmm. Keep chasing the base. Like for me at one point in time, it was, it was a normal, healthy relationship with a woman that I could give a hundred to. Yeah. Right? That was my vase. And I, I've been lucky enough to, to be married to my wife for almost three years. And then, you know, have a better relationship with your children or mm-hmm. to find sobriety or just just overcome what you've done, man. You've killed some cycles out there, man, from yeah. from sobriety, from from addiction, um, mental in the home with mom. I mean, I'm yeah. just I'm in totally impressed. Domestic violence. You know, I just I look at you, man, and I, and I see strength. So I just want to, I want to commend you in that number one. So keep doing what you're doing. If you guys want to find, uh, it's, it's, it's blue and Marissa, right? She's also Mm -hmm. involved in the recreation. She's out there killing it. Please pass our love on to her too, man. Like, Well, you're who you are today because of her, I
1: guarantee. 100%. Yeah. 100%. It only took one person to believe in in me to get me to where I was.
0: Man, and that's amazing. So props to her and your family. Happy New Year. Thank you for, for being on Chase the Vase podcast and keep chasing the vase blue. Thank you. My pleasure.
1: You've been listening to Chase the Vase Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more information, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Or visit our website, chasethevase.com. Until next time, keep chasing the vase.